This episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by Northeastern University's Damore McKim School of Business. Northeastern University's Damore McKim School of Business offers the master's degree for corporate entrepreneurs, the MS in Innovation. This program, available 100% online and completed in just one year, is designed to develop leaders and change agents within the corporate setting. If you want to foster explosive growth within your organization through next generation products and services and business model innovations, they want to hear from you. Northeastern is now accepting application for its January cohort of online innovation students. Get started today by visiting msininnovation.com. That's msininnovation.com. Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, AT&T, Time Warner, Comcast, NBCU, a new conglomerate <laughs> from TheVerge.com. <laughs> That's pretty good. Very good. That was uh, inspired by a tweet from Andrew Kerr on Twitter, at a Kerr, K-E-R-R, tweeted Andrew, say thank you. We love your intros. Keep sending them. That one was a particularly That's good a one. That's very good timely. Very good. Timely, timely, timely. But I'm Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, Verge executive editor, editor-at-large, Recode, Walter S. Mossberg. How's it going, Walt? It's fantastic. I mean, the only thing that makes me a little sad is I think we cleared this, right, Neela? I think this is the week we have to announce that um, this podcast will only be available on Cricket wireless phones. <laughs> There'll be no other way to hear it because we are part now of this giant conglomerate. And a decision's been made somewhere. I don't know where. I think in Texas, uh, maybe in New Jersey. I'm not sure where. Somewhere that it only appears on Cricket wireless phones. So, hello, yeah. Cricketeers. <laughs> oh, God. That's such a, it's so funny and also so dark and true. I mean, <laughs> uh, can you? So, you know, we've got a whole bunch of things to talk about. There's a Microsoft event this week. There's an Apple event this week. Right. You've got a whole riff on PCs. The end of your column literally includes the words, the thrill is gone. <laughs> right. There's a lot to talk about there. But let's do a couple of minutes on, on this big AT&T Time Warner deal. Yeah, we should. Uh, we should. So, Walt, you, I mean, Kara wrote books about AOL Time Warner back she in did. the day. Yeah. You were right in the thick of it. I was. Uh, is it as much the same? It feels to me as like the same mistake. Well, my take on it, I'm sorry if this is too much agreement, but my take on it is exactly the take you took in a, a, your literary masterpiece <laughs> entitled, Look at This Goddamn Chart. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get past that headline, which I loved actually, but you know, it's you could be next after Bob Dylan and I then put, not yeah. contact the Nobel Prize people. But um, but you in that in that piece, which I was not consulted on, right? Yeah. I was not consulted on. But in that piece, you said uh, something that I believe totally, which is the network companies have an obligation, almost a fiduciary duty, you didn't use this word, but this is how I feel about it. The best use of their capital, the best use of their brain power, the talent, the best use of their time is figuring out how to deliver better networks and better network services. That's what they should be doing. <laughs> They're calling you right now. Yeah. It's <laughs> Randall so the idea of them buying up content is a giant diversion and distraction from their main job. Focus on creating great content and distributing it in as many different channels as they can, including Create Wireless, but not yep. limited to that. I cannot think of a combination. I mean, we all know AOL Time Warner was a disaster, though I think, as Steve Case wrote, 
uh, I think yesterday that it was had more to do with culture yeah. than anything else. And there is a cultural difference, of course. But I can't think of a case where one of these content and distribution synergies worked, you know, when it was a merger or, or an acquisition. And that includes Comcast, NBC, Universal, which this is our footnote now, uh, is a is a uh, minority investor in Vox Media, which owns The Verge, which owns this podcast. Yeah. The people that I've dealt with at that company are, are perfectly fine, but I think Comcast customers, whether they're primarily internet customers or TV or phone or all three, would probably be better off if Comcast focused, you know, flat out on that. Mm -hmm. And if they weren't trying to run a movie studio and a television network and all the other things they do. And uh, I think NBC and Universal people, and it's not because I think they're doing a bad job, but I think they could do a better job. Uh, We could all do a better job, and they could do a better job too if they didn't have to answer to a company that's in a fundamentally different business. So, I mean, that that one has been around for a while, and I don't see any advantage that has come to me as a consumer. I'm a Comcast customer, and I watch content produced by NBC and Universal, and I can't think of any version of that combination that has been helpful to me. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, I can't. And that's interesting because, can't. you know, the government imposed all these regulations on that merger that said anything that you'd want to do to either make NBC content exclusive to Comcast or, you know, monkey with that arrangement or preference it on the Comcast network, you're not allowed to do. And that means they're basically two separate businesses entirely, which really demands the answer to the question, why did Comcast pay such a huge premium for NBC if they're not deriving any new value from it? I think it's right. the same question at and is going to have to answer with Time Warner. And the AT&T deal and the Verizon AOL deal, which is not that old, are even more curious because although both Verizon and AT&T have a sort of television product, more Verizon than AT&T because Fios is more, I think, has more homes and has more, been around longer than AT&T U-verse, that they're basically cellular carriers. And I know we all watch video on our phones, sometimes mm-hmm. using cellular when we're not worried about the overcharge, you know, the extra charges they're going to lay on us. But now they're buying all this big fat content to push through a fairly narrow pipe. And it just is just very, it just, I just think it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Particularly, I mean, You've got 5G coming, which isn't even defined yet, really, mm-hmm. but is is going to certainly require a lot of CapEx, as my Wall Street friends and I say, <laughs> uh, a lot of CapEx and, you know, a lot of spending. It's going to cost billions of dollars for them to lay out these new networks and get the most out of them. And, I mean, that's a giant, giant challenge for AT&T to worry about without having to worry about the next, uh, you know, how, how well is John Oliver's show doing? Right. I mean, the way, I, the way I see it, you know, Randall Stevenson, I think it was Peter Kafka who wrote on Recode, AT&T is, has two very different messages. One is everything will be the same. Don't worry about it, government, because they want the government to let the deal pass. So they're saying, we're just going to leave these businesses alone. We're not going to do anything sneaky. And then to the investor class, they're saying, oh, well, we're going to build a 5G network. It's going to, you know, AT&T subscribers will get 
exclusive access to Warner content. You know, when you're in your self-driving car, you're going to watch so much more TV. We need to deliver it. They literally ended the call by talking about self-driving cars at one point, which is yeah, crazy stuff. Like we, we live in the future in that sense, right? But what I see it as is kind of the other way, which is they've made this huge investment in 4G networks. The biggest companies in the game know that they need you to keep paying for their pipes, or if you're AT&T and Verizon, they need to entice you back to their pipes. They don't want you shopping for price. So AT&T is going to say, well, all this, you get all this HBO stuff bundled into AT&T Verizon customers. Verizon customers, it's ever so much harder to get HBO on your Verizon phone. Come to AT&T to watch Game of Thrones. And Verizon is going to say, well, we're just subsidizing NFL games on Verizon. If you want which to watch is, football which is on the actually go, already, it's already, already happening. happening. Yeah. If you, it's AT&T, and I'm an AT&T customer. Watching a football game on my phone is impossible. Even though I pay Verizon for their television service. We, it, we're just going to live in a world where more and more stuff is locked away from you. No matter what you buy, you'll get some bundle of stuff and have harder access to some other bundle. So somebody needs to stop this. This needs to be stopped by a law or by an antitrust review or regulation or something. But I, but what my, my point is, I don't think that's about 5G. I think that's about milking more money out of their 4G investment. Well, they, everybody has to figure out what the hell 5G is. No, but my only point about 5G was that's a giant challenge. Yeah. And it's not as if these companies, and uh, it's not as if AT&T is sitting around in Atlanta or in, uh, uh, which is their mobile uh, headquarters or at their corporate headquarters near Dallas and sitting around and saying, well, I got, we got nothing to do. We got nothing to do. We might as well go buy a bunch of content. Yeah. Because we got no challenges. We got no way, new ways to make money. We got no new investments of talent and, you know, time and all the other things. And they do. They have an enormous investment. But, the, you know, look, it's it's a bizarre industry. It's the only <laughs> the only industry I've ever encountered in a long career of covering businesses. It's the only one I've ever encountered that is almost embarrassed to be in the business they're in. You know, they're always talking about being a dumb pipe. Uh, if you go visit uh, AT&T, as I have, and they're very nice, they're very nice, they will show you, they're very proud to show you all these other things they do. They have home security. They have, they actually have a division that, <laughs> this surprised me, but it's true. I've seen it. I was there. They also have a division that builds apps for car makers. <laughs> I mean, music apps or I don't know what, you know, apps for car makers, I guess. So the car makers don't have to uh, install CarPlay and Android Auto, which I think the AT&T deal is probably a losing proposition, but I, you know, I don't know in the long run. But so they just, they, they, it seems to me, I am a customer, you are a customer, I'm, I happen to use Verizon, you use AT&T on your phone. We are both willing to pay uh, competitive rates for very good service. And I would pay even a, you know, a higher, I do pay a higher rate for better service. And that's a product. And why would you be ashamed to be yeah. making the product you know how to make? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, they're not, it's going to, the regulatory process is going to take a year, they think. So. But just remember, we're headed for cricket. That's it. <laughs> this episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by MailChimp. 
12 million people use MailChimp to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses every day. MailChimp has been around since 2001. The company started as a side project funded by various web development jobs, but now they're the world's leading email marketing platform. They send more than a billion emails a day. They democratize technology for small businesses, creating innovative products that empower their customers to grow. When you connect to your store with one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you can create targeted campaigns, automate helpful product follow-ups, and send back-in-stock messaging. Learn what your customers are purchasing, and then send them better email. MailChimp will also analyze the purchase history of each customer to make smart, data-driven predictions about what they'll want to buy in the future. It's enterprise-level technology made simple for everyone, just drag and drop. And sending personalized product recommendations to your customers increases sales in just a few clicks. MailChimp detects purchasing patterns in your e-commerce data and then uses them to automatically predict your customer's buying behavior so you target the right people with the right products. With MailChimp, you also get enterprise-level automation without any of the headaches. You can send an onboarding series to introduce new subscribers to your business or organization. You can automatically follow up with customers after a purchase, recommend other products that they'll love, and you can surprise your best customers with a coupon triggered by their shopping behavior. Remind customers of products they left in their cart and encourage them to come back and complete that transaction. You re-engage your inactive subscribers. And from WordPress to Facebook, Shopify to Magneto, MailChimp integrates with the apps and web services you use every day. So connect your MailChimp account with hundreds of powerful web services. When you sync those applications you use to run your business and break down data silos between platform, your workflow becomes more efficient. That extra time lets you focus on increasing engagement and revenue. Anyway, it's MailChimp. Go try it out. It's great. MailChimp. Send better email. Sell more stuff. Anyhow, let's get into the real deal. Uh, let's talk it, about PCs. Such a nostalgic thing in a way, but yeah. No, there, there's a lot here, and you sent me some particularly choice old columns this week, so I'm eager to get into it. But you got a big Microsoft event uh, coming up this week. We're expecting an all-in-one PC from Microsoft, which there's just a lot to unpack with that idea in 2016. Uh, yeah. And then towards the end of the week, yeah. uh, Apple has an event. We're expecting basically a new MacBook Pro is what everyone's... Talking about actually the new build of macOS Sierra has a picture of it in it that leaked today. It looks yeah, almost exactly like the current MacBook Pro Except with a touch screen above the, the keyboard and a little Apple Pay. Uh, and a crappier keyboard. And, <laughs> what uh, appears to be a crappier keyboard. Appears to be a crappier keyboard. <laughs> and a but, but it also, I mean, depending on what kinds of inferences you like to draw from 2D overhead pictures. Yeah. Uh, it could, it does appear to be maybe lighter and thinner. We don't know. Yeah, they've redesigned the hinge. You can tell it's a little bit. But yeah, so it's a leak. We don't, you know, it's it's a leak that is in an Apple like Apple software. So we assume it's the real thing, but we still don't know. This event hasn't happened. But yeah. as a lead up, you kind of wrote about the state of PCs, where they were, how important they used to be, and kind of where they are now. And, and you called them furniture. Furniture. They're the furniture of our digital lives or the digital furniture of our lives, whatever you want. And I think what I mean by that is, you know, you have furniture. You absolutely have to have furniture. As you get older, you afford better furniture, but you have to have furniture. On the other hand, you don't brag about your furniture. You've never been to a party where people brag about their furniture. You also <laughs> don't change your furniture all that often. I mean, you or your your partner might buy a piece of furniture every, I don't know, what, five years? And some furniture you don't change every 15, 20 years. I mean, it's there. It's necessary. It's important. It's just kind of something you expect. Once you get it, you get it. If it breaks, you replace it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where 
PCs are, both desktops and, and laptops, and most of them are laptops today. And so um, I pointed out uh, in the column that, you know, even though I'm a gadget geek and I'm a tech journalist, my production laptop is, on, is over three years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that may change. I'm, I am probably going to buy another laptop, and I'll probably buy another one after that. But, but uh, Gartner, the, the well-known analyst group which follows this stuff, actually put out some very strange wording today. I don't know if you want to read it, but it's, yeah. it's sort of shocking. Exactly. It wasn't today. I'm sorry. It was two weeks ago that they put this out. Here it is. The last sentence from the Gartner report while it's talking about. According to our 2016 personal technology survey, the majority of consumers own and use at least three different types of devices in mature markets. And they're referring, I think, obviously to the phone, the tablet, and the laptop. Among these devices, the PC is not a high-priority device for the majority of consumers, so they do not feel the need to upgrade their PCs as often as they used to. Some may never decide to upgrade to a PC again. So that's a pretty dire warning for this industry. Is yeah, no, it is, and that was part of a part of a report which showed that there have been now been eight straight quarters of declines in PC sales, and that is a record. So you and, and I you- have talked about this on the show a lot, though, about tablets and PCs and the relationship between the two. You know, I read that Gartner thing, and what I think that is premised and this is sort of my read of it, it's premised on the idea that the phone and the tablet will actually begin to do all of the range of things that a PC can do for the average consumer. And I think you and I have talked a lot. It's close. It's really not there yet. But if it gets there, it's absolutely true. Why would you buy another PC if your tablet can do everything that your PC can do? Right. If your tablet is a third the weight and, you know, fourth the thickness and it could do all that, why would you do it? And, you know, let's just take the Apple uh, Silicon. I mean, those processors are super powerful, particularly for what they're doing inside the devices they're built for. Nothing against the Intel devices in the laptops, but the, the Apple processors are pretty amazing. So I agree with you. I don't think we're quite there yet. I pointed out in the column, I do use laptops. I wrote that column on a laptop. I could have written it uh, without too much trouble on a an iPad. Yeah. I wouldn't say every tablet, but I could have written it on an iPad with a, a Logitech uh, keyboard. And I have written columns that way. I wouldn't necessarily write one on a phone, either, you know, like a Pixel or an iPhone. I just I wouldn't do that yet, me personally. But, you know, I don't know. My point is just it's the furniture. It's the background. You don't actually buy new ones until they break. And it's a very hard proposition for companies in that business. And it's a it's a change in an era. And, you know, I pointed out things that I think some younger readers uh, may not realize to point out how, just how amazingly big a deal they PCs were. Like when Windows 95 went on sale, obviously in 1995, stores that sold it, because it was sold in a box in those days, with discs inside, piled huge heaps, mountains. I don't know if you saw one, Eli, at the time. I did. Uh, of Windows 95 boxes, and then they flung open their doors at midnight to sell them. Just like you see, you're used to the you know, footage of people lined up to buy the new iPhone, you know, all night and whatever. It was like that for a PC, op- that wasn't even a PC, that was a, <laughs> a PC operating system. Yeah. Uh, 
You know, a few years later, uh, Apple brought out the iMac, which was a big deal. But then they brought out a kind of much more refined iMac that looked like a desk lamp. And it was on the cover of Time magazine. That was my favorite ever iMac, by the way. It's it's lost a little bit in the, the grand story of Apple. But it was by far the most daring computer design I think anyone has ever mass produced. The iMac G4 with the round base and the chrome neck. Thing was, it yeah, was it was it was it was it was gorgeous. It was fantastic. I mean, I owned one. I'm sure you own one. And I think what people have to understand in in 2016 is that to be on the cover of Time magazine in 2002 was like really a big deal, really special. And it, there's a whole a lot of lore about how Steve Jobs talked them into that, but it got on the cover of Time Magazine. So PCs were just... Oh, and then Apple, which was the underdog in PCs, but now nobody would believe that now. If if a person landed from Mars and watched a movie or a bunch of movies or a bunch of TV shows, they would think Max had a 95% share. If you went to a college campus or, you know, a Starbucks or almost any tech company in Silicon Valley or most media companies... Most of the computers are Macs, uh, but they're not. They don't. They're, they're very profitable. They are a big business by themselves, but you know they're they have a very small share compared to the totality of Windows computers. But but one way Apple built them up to the point where at least they were profitable and and had a respectable share was through an extraordinary. I think it was a four year television ad campaign. I think there were 66 ads in total that ran in primetime with a guy who was the PC guy, who was kind of a nerdy guy in a suit, who appeared yeah. to be using whatever PC his company gave him. And then a kind of a cool, it was Justin Long, a cool guy, you know, in, in like jeans and a <laughs> It was like a very sweater. classic mid-2000s hipster guy. Right. And he was the Mac and the other guy who was John sure. Hodgman, who's brilliant, was the PC guy, and the the and these ads were parod- parodied, and they were just all over. And why why was it worth spending all that money? Because the PC was an enormous prize, right, uh, for companies. Actually, well, you were in a Mac versus PC ad. They mentioned you by name. Yeah, it's pretty I, amazing. Uh, they told me at the last minute, but yes, I was. Can we? Let's, let's see if we can run the audio. Andrew, can you pull that off? Hello, I'm a Mac, and I'm a PC. What are you reading? Just the Wall Street Journal. It's nothing. Oh, no, no, no. A PC? You know what? Oh, it's a review of you. D- d- don't read it. Oh, it's PC from Walt Mossberg, one of the most respected technology experts on the planet. Apparently, you're the finest desktop PC on the market at any price. Very nice. It's just one man's opinion. I actually got a great review this morning, too. Oh, And they said I was awesome. Good for you. And so we're the same. Yeah, what, the same. what was that in? The um, awesome, awesome computer review weekly journal. So, so Walt. How did you end up in a Mac versus PC ad? I got a call from, I think, a lawyer at Dow Jones, which was the company I worked for at the time that published the Wall Street Journal. And I had written a column saying that the iMac had reached the point where it was the gold standard of desktop computers. And it was. I mean, I don't really don't think there was too much argument about it at the time. And I mean, some of the other, a lot of the other companies were still making those ugly towers and all that. The iMac had gotten very powerful. It was quite beautiful. The screen was spec. It might have been the first Retina screen. I don't remember. It was just spectacular. I think it was twenty. Maybe it was the first time it was twenty-seven inches. 
So I wrote that this is the gold standard. Yeah. And the whoever was making these ads without talking to me made this <laughs> ad. And then at the last minute said, oh, can we have your permission to use this? And I felt like I couldn't not give them permission because it was fair use. Yeah. And we, we journalists use fair use all the time. They were just quoting you know, five words or something from a publicly published column. Yeah. And I don't think I could have said no. So I said, okay. And uh, <laughs> the ad ran and I got a lot of kidding for it. But um, That's pretty good. I mean, I will say, I think Steve Jobs said this. The key to those ads was actually John Hodgman being like a relatable person that you liked who represented the enormous... PC market. They weren't just making fun of him. He, they, 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 he was, he was very relatable and very likable. He was the. He did. He said that many times. But when he said it in the joint interview we did, which we've talked about many times on the podcast uh, that that Kara Swisher and I did with with Gates and Jobs, when Jobs said that, but PC's a nice guy. Gates wasn't buying it. I have to tell you, <laughs> Gates wasn't buying it. But but you're right. That was the key to it. So it's years after this, and I just to give readers a sense of change from where we were. I'm going to read two. V- These are the oldest columns Walt has ever sent me. I think this is where we were with PCs, and yeah. then I want to talk about where we are and where we might be going. But these are both two columns from 1992. They're incredible. So here's. January 30th, 1992, Wall Street Journal. Walt's column is entitled, Things You Really Need to Know About Staying Plugged In on the Road. And it's it's a list of tips for people taking laptops on the road who want to connect. It is incredible. Let me just, let me just read three of the tips. Yeah. Look for a hotel that provides spare phone jacks. These are rare but growing in number. One example is the new San Francisco Marriott. So Walt's giving hotel advice is gone. <laughs> it's yeah. incredible. Failing that, always carry three inexpensive items. A, a long spare phone wire, a coupler to connect two phone wires and a Y adapter, a gizmo that lets two phone wires plug into a single jack. With these three things available for a few dollars each at Radio Shack, yeah. you can usually avoid <laughs> using the wall jack at all. For example, you can plug the Y adapter into the back of the phone and then plug both the line from the wall and the line from your PC's modem into it. And for hotels where the phone is permanently hardwired to the wall and you can't plug anything in, consider two costlier devices. One is an acoustic coupler, which connects your modem to the phone's handset via rubber cups over the mouth and earpieces. The other is a special connector that fits between the handset and phone and provides a phone jack for your modem. In, in, like just incredible. Like we're sitting here arguing about headphone jacks, and Walt's like carry an acoustic coupler in your bag. <laughs> I did carry an acoustic. That's coupler incredible. for years. So that's that's yeah. that's ninety two. Uh, and then later that year, November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two, Walt reviews two sub notebooks. One line here: the current dominant type is called notebooks to distinguish them from even heavier, older laptops. This autumn, however, a new category is being born: the sub notebook, which falls between notebooks and palm tops. So. This is a whole new thing. It's a PowerBook Duo and something called the Zenith Z-Note Notebook, which is incredible. And Walt, Zenith. I got to yeah. say, it sounded like you liked the Zenith over the PowerBook. Here's the quote. But at 1.8 kilograms, the Z-Lite is lighter than the Apple. And unlike the PowerBook, it has built-in sockets for a color monitor and mouse. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> anyway, the column ends. This column was begun on the Z-Lite and finished on the PowerBook Duo, which can read IBM-compatible floppy disks. Both worked well in airplanes and a hotel room. Both deliver great computing power without breaking your back. So that's where we were ages ago. I mean, literally ages ago when, yeah. when you needed all this hardware to 
get connected when the sub notebook was such a new category that Walt was explaining to people what it even was when uh, you were complaining about the Zenith Z-Lite only having a 20 megahertz processor and a 60 megabyte hard drive. Yeah. I mean, just incredible. Megabyte. Megabyte. We're talking megabytes. A 20 megahertz processor. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, the, the iPhone is like up in the multiple gigahertz, right? Now that I think about it, a 20 megahertz processor is like what? A... a... Uh, the thing in your in your uh, alarm clock? I don't know. Yeah, I'm what? sure. I think the AirPods <laughs> probably have a faster <laughs> processor than 20 megahertz. In yeah. Those are headphones. Yeah. Though, don't worry. The, the PowerBook Duo was a speed demon at 33 megahertz. So right. that's where we were. And now, we, and then, you know, what was, as you were saying, we came through this period where the PC was so dominant. People are lining up to get new operating systems. There's the Mac versus PC ads. I would bring up the Dell dude, which was Dell's character in their advertising. Dell dude, that's right. Yeah, these were cultural phenomenon. And then we obviously shifted into the mobile area, and I'm sure everybody listening to this knows that that was a major paradigm shift. And now we live in this iPhone world. But PCs are still around, and it's actually you know this week we're looking at the two biggest players from that market. They're, they're back at it, Microsoft and Apple. What do you think is next? Does it ever come back from being furniture? Or is it just, we're just going to get slightly better furniture every year until something else becomes furniture? You know, I recently, a few months ago, I, I wrote, and we may have talked, probably talked about it on the podcast. I did a, a review of a very, I thought, impressively designed HP notebook called the Spectre or something. Mm-hmm. They use Spectre for various things. I can't remember now what, what it was. The Spectre something. It was very thin. It had very cleverly engineered hinges. Um, it was very powerful for its uh, dimensions. It was beautiful and it was expensive. And their goal and the goal of all the PC makers whose name is not not Apple is to get into the $1,000 plus market because that's where the profits are. Most people have been used to going into a Best Buy or someplace and spending five, six hundred dollars. They all want to get into the over a thousand. And I think they're, I read somewhere recently that some of them are making some progress. And that's great for them. But that's not the same thing as actually revolutionizing the device. I mean, the revolutionizing of the PC is taking place in the tablet. It's taking place in the smartphone. Microsoft, you know, with the Surface, which is essentially a tablet, has made it so that it kind of operates like a PC. After laughing at it, Apple has done something similar with the iPad Pro. But the difference is that the iPad Pro runs tablet software. Mm-hmm. Different, completely different than a laptop. If you walk up and down the aisles of an airplane uh, and look at the people who are using surfaces, most of them, in my experience, and I know this is anecdotal, but that's we're journalists, so we it's anecdotal. Uh, most of them are running desktop Windows programs. Yeah, they're almost uh, always running Excel. In my, in yeah, my whatever. So, um, but the or PowerPoint or whatever. Outlook, but not the fancy modern versions of those things, but the, the traditional ones. So those are being used like like laptops. So I think when you say what comes next, I think people will continue to refine the clamshell. Apple is going to try to refine one of its most important its most important clamshell on on Thursday and put something new in it, and also presumably change the dimensions somewhat. So there are refinements there, but you know, all the action in new hardware is in other things which perform the, the same functions or scenarios 
that you used to do with a laptop or that you still can do with a laptop, but also perform them in a different kind of hardware that we think of as different, but is really, in a way, I mean, tell me why a Google Pixel isn't a, isn't a form of a PC. Right. Tell me why an iPad Pro isn't a form of a PC. Tell me why, uh, you know, a, a Xiaomi giant 6.4-inch screen ceramic phone isn't which is very exciting and interesting and you know uh, a lot a lot more audacious than the typical laptop why that isn't a kind of a laptop it's probably inferior in some ways and superior in others yeah you know the way i think about it and i'm actually curious what you think about it and what our readers think about it but the way i think about it is it still comes back to that the PC is going to let me do a bunch of real work. It's going to let me monkey around with a bunch of files. It's got, I still think, you know, web browsing, I still think is a superior experience in a desktop browser. It's going to let me run virtually any app I want. You know, like there's a level of work and performance from a PC in sort of access to the computer that I have never felt on any mobile platform. And I know, you know, the iPad Pros have ridiculously powerful processors and the iPhone 7 can fly four space shuttles at once and the <laughs> Pixel has a Snapdragon 821 that, it, you know, it's it's nuclear powered. Well, it, right, the, the mobile processors are, are, are very powerful now, but your access to them is mediated by App Store rules. It's mediated by interface limitations of touch display. like. The things you can do with the PC at the edges, are it's still more capable than any of those other products. And I think that might be the split. And I think it's going to be really hard. That last 20% of cases where a PC is the right device is going to be the one that, that keeps it around forever. Because neither Apple nor Google shows any particular interest in attacking those 20% of cases. And Apple, I mean, literally, this is, you know, this Mac event is coming. But for professional users, Apple hasn't updated that Mac Pro in like a billion years. And there's nothing from the rumors that indicates that it's going to. So yeah, we should make, make sure people know that we're, you just were talking about the Mac Pro. The Mac Pro, not, not the, the Mac MacBook Book Pro. Pro. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe they will. Maybe they'll surprise us. I don't know. But it doesn't look like it. It just seems like that last set of heavy, high-performance work will just be the domain of the PC for some time. And I think, you know, we were talking about airplanes in Excel. I think people people who are heavy users of Excel, there's nothing about numbers on the iPad that is is pulling them back over. They're, they still want that that desktop Excel experience. And I think that's that's much more real than we give it credit for. And I think that's that's the last thing to fix. Well, I agree with you up to a point. I think yeah. there are edge cases. If one of the edge cases is that you want to know in your mind you can install without the mediation of an app store any app on a device then that device is going to be a pc i mean yes you can root or jailbreak phones and do those things but it's it's likely to be a pc i would point out that both apple and microsoft have stores now for their pcs so they're moving in the opposite direction but yes even though they have stores they still let you put something else on them i think that is a super corner case Mm -hmm. uh, which is fine. Uh, as far as Excel and things like that go, people do prefer uh, a laptop. But the truth is that Microsoft has done an amazingly good job 
of making a version of Excel and a version of PowerPoint and a version of Word that are very close to the desktop version that are available on iPads and I think on the modern software piece of the Surface tablets. Also on Android, although I'm not as familiar with how good it is on Android, but let's assume it's the same. I mean, I can pick up, I had, do, have, will pick up my iPad and use Word and use, I don't, I'm not a big Excel person, but you know, I have used Excel or at least fiddled with Excel spreadsheets on tablets. It's not numbers. I mean, and numbers, for those who don't know, is Apple spreadsheet and it's not as good as Excel, not mm-hmm. meant to be as a lot of Apple software to do beautiful things, but right. But not to do the the, hard, the hardest or more complex, most complex things. I think the future of tops is being poured into tablets. And you know, Apple, as we've noted on the podcast before, now has signed up IBM and Cisco and somebody else recently, Box or somebody. They're pushing into the enterprise in a big way. And yeah, they still want to sell Macs into those enterprises, but they think they can sell a lot of iPads in. Yeah, and uh, Microsoft is uh, on a similar path. So I just, but I think it's you know you know what an iPad can't ever do. No one ever sits down an iPad and plugs it into a thirty-inch monitor, right? Or three thirty-inch monitors. There's been a lot of effort to try to get phones do that. Microsoft with Windows ten try to get it so you could plug a phone, it would turn into this big PC, but it didn't take. I think that's the sort of. I'm going to sit down and do some work, and I'm going to have two screens, and I'm a web developer, I'm a video editor, I'm, I work, you know, I have a Bloomberg terminal. Percent agree with you. I sit our Box Media offices in D.C. near the video folks. I don't think they could ever use a tablet, and I would never walk over to them and say, "Hey, get rid of that fancy Mac and use a tablet." You know, that's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, but our, but our news editors want to look at a lot of Twitter streams at TweetDeck at once. I can't give them four iPads. Like they plug a bunch of monitors in their computers, and that's like a they have. There's no computing horsepower behind that, unless you believe as I do that Twitter codes its Mac apps badly. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I'm just pointing out, Jack. No, I I use TweetDeck on my on my Mac. So. Yeah, like there's something really nice about an external monitor. It, that is a solved problem. I don't use an external monitor personally because I don't feel the need for it. Although I do have a 27 inch iMac, and what I do is split the screen. Yeah, and it's it's big enough that my email uh, or Slack or something can be on one side, and the browser can be on the other. Yeah, my point is a big screen like that or an external screen. These are solved problems in the PC world. So there's they're a place, not even they're not even a category of problems. In the so there's world. a place for PCs, yeah. and that's why I don't know the numbers for every other company, but I happen to know that Macs are a twenty billion dollar plus business. Yeah. And as I think I've said this before on the podcast, but if you pulled that out, it's somewhere in the fortune around 150 or 160 or something in the Fortune 500. That's max, which are like you know nobody thinks about when they think about Apple's earnings now. So yeah, there's a place for PCs, but it's the furniture. Yeah, you know. I'm setting up a company. I'm setting up an office. How many PCs are we going to need here? Well, we're going to need 26. And how many monitors to hook them up to? Or how many are all-in-ones and how many are laptop? Whatever. And so you buy them. But it's not the same as the kind of 
personal excitement. When should we buy the phones? Because something super, there's a 10th anniversary iPhone coming next year. People are going to be very excited about that. They, Apple can blow it, but I mean, people are going to be very anticipating it and very excited about it. There's, what is Samsung going to do next year about the Note? Mm-hmm. People care about that. Not only because they have this recall safety problem, but because the Note, before it became a bomb, was basically <laughs> the bomb. Good. Uh, and that, good. should have done you that as a that? headline. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people liked it. So people are, are wondering, well, how do they pull themselves out of this mess? And will they keep making phones that have a little risk in them? I think that's part of it. These phones... And to some lesser extent, the tablets, but primarily the phones, have some risk in them. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the Chinese came out with a ceramic phone the yeah. other day. That's kind of a risk, right? I don't know. that Nobody's made a phone out of that material, or have they? I don't know. No. That, no. I think that you're talking about the, the Xiaomi Mi Max. Xiaomi Mi Max, yeah. So they had to solve a bunch of problems because they didn't put any bezels in and they made it out of a ceramic. And so they did some things that people haven't done in making phones before. Now, it may be a failure. It may technically be a failure. It may commercially be a failure. But that's what excites people. Somebody's going to do something cool on a phone. And this is nine years into the phone market when things have kind of calmed down a little. We still have the possibility of that. I don't feel like people think they have the possibility of that in PCs. I don't know what this Microsoft All-in-One is going to be. I, I mean, I do know a little from what we've written at The Verge. I know some, uh, a bunch about the MacBook Pro because of what we've been able to find out. They may both be excellent computers, but they're they're not absolutely stunning, probably, is my guess. Yeah. And that's because they're just better, newer furniture, but not the thing that you desperately want to have. Yeah, you know, I think I was watching the reaction to this MacBook Pro leak today, and it, you know, it, it's not normal for an Apple product to leak from Apple a couple days before the event. So there was a lot of reaction to that. This must then, have been a, one of those help videos or help screens, right, that launched. Yeah, Otherwise, why would there be a picture of it in there? Yeah. Yeah, it was, I think it's an Apple Pay sort of like help screen. Um, but it's, so, there, you know, there's a lot of reaction to Apple, and then there was some you know, internet sleuthing of where the keys are and how the thing works and is the hinge really different. It it actually says a MacBook Pro on the bezel and it hasn't said MacBook Pro in some time and hand-wringing about what that could mean. But there was a lot of, not a lot of like pure excitement about a new laptop from Apple. And that really struck me because as it turns out, I am ridiculously excited to get a new laptop. Yeah, I know. I was thinking, I was just going to say that. Like, you're the guy I was thinking of. And I'm, like, why? I'm dying for a because new Because your laptop's either. almost dead. I mean, yeah, it's the, the fan is running right now. Like, I, you know, I've got two web browser windows open. God forbid. Your favorite uh, Lazy Boy chair is almost dead. And you need to buy a new one. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So, so you can watch the Packers. I mean, <laughs> it's really important. Right, but... I mean, if you're going to watch Aaron Rodgers drop passes, you need a good chair. What's going on with him? I, we can talk about that know. for the rest of the show if you want to be good. Yeah, you're very excited about the MacBook because yours is almost dead and you've been waiting for this. I've been waiting. And, you know, it looks like the keyboard's way shallower. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to give it a shot. I've been, I have Dieter's old MacBook, the, ret, the little Retina MacBook. It's a whole thing. 
I'm ready. I'm ready for this thing. But if the innovation is that I can touch the OLED strip to pay for things easier online, then I think you're right. Like, we're kind of out of big ideas. But I think there's there's just so much more in the capability set of the PC that we're not looking at. I think I watch Addie Robertson on our staff, who I think is probably the single best VR reporter in the game, go into our VR room and fire up a huge gaming PC to investigate a burgeoning and exciting field of tech that relies on that high power. That stuff needs to shrink and go to mobile, and Facebook just announced its own standalone Oculus headset, so there's movement in that direction. But the highest power, best experiences there are going to happen in games. I look at PC games entirely. It's massive, just a massive industry uh, that drives, that continues to drive high-end PC sales. I look at our video editors. You know why AT&T is buying Time Warner? Because this is their quote, the future of video is mobile and the future of mobile is video. Well, if you're going to pay for all that high-end video stuff, you need PCs to make it. So there's just a lot of stuff. Even if you believe that the whole world is going to look at phones and phones are going to be exciting and Xiaomi's doing ceramic backs and you know Apple's going to put out a totally clear one like Robert Scoble please whatever it's crazy stuff out in the world i know um I, I, even if you every, believe all that and that's what every the excitement sentence is, in that was more incredible than the last one but it was anyway. amazing but yeah, i agree with you that that's where the excitement is and that's where the consumer fervor is but the foundation of all of it where all of the apps for all this stuff is written where all of the back-end services are being created where all the work happens is still the pc and i I just hope that we don't completely lose sight of the fact that this foundational thing, this furniture, there's still a bunch of innovation and ideas left to have with it because it's still where I think the magic of computing really happens. When you go from being just a consumer to somebody who makes the stuff, that's when you use a PC. I would be sad if somehow PCs stopped improving. They need to improve. But I just don't, I just, uh, I'm just with B.B. King. The thrill is gone. That's (laughs) what I believe. I I honestly don't think, you're excited because you're, you desperately need to replace it. Yeah, I'm excited just because I'm excited because I I am a columnist at The Verge (laughs) and I'm going to probably review it next week. Yeah. So I'm excited about it. Uh, Tom Warren's excited about the Microsoft All-in-One, although I don't know. They've been all in ones for a while, and they just haven't gotten around to making one. So now they're making one. Maybe they've got some incredibly clever twist on it. But you know, it's our job to be excited, or perhaps it's our nature to be excited about these things, which is why we're in this job. So that's all great. I just, but I don't think it's. I think the thrill is gone. That's really all I'm saying. And I and you and the numbers. You know, if you don't replace something uh, for six years, which is sort of the what the replacement cycle looks like it's stretching toward, then you're not replacing it because you have a, a desire, an aspirational desire to have one. You're replacing it because it no longer works right. And then that makes it just a utilitarian tool. And that's different. Phones aren't quite there yet. They might get there, but they're not there. I actually think that's that turn from the phone going from being exciting to being a standard thing that all the other innovation in, in our lives relies upon. I think it, it, it might be coming a little bit sooner than we expect, but who knows? By the way, uh, as we were sitting here, uh, Apple's earnings came out. Yes. Uh, <laughs> here it is. Max sales down 14% year over year. So yeah. 
it's a it's a good time for them to put out some new products in that in that world. Uh, and Apple's first revenue drop uh, year over year since two thousand one. So which which they predicted. I think which they understood. Their guidance is to, is to be up year to year in the next quarter. Yeah, because that's where the iPhone seven sales bump. Yeah, is. and as far as the Mac sales drop, I think it's part and parcel of everyone else's drop. For a long while, Apple had been beating the rest of the market on that, but I think it's been enhanced by the expre- the the feelings you cited, which is you know a new Mac is coming and you're Mac, you need to buy one, but you're waiting. So that to pr- probably helped depress the sales. We shall see. Anyhow, we will be, Tom Warren is actually in New York. He will be at the Microsoft event this week. I am flying to San Francisco. Dieter and I will be covering the Mac event. We'll have everything in the world, all on The Verge, live blogs, photos, videos, the whole thing. So keep it locked here on TheVerge.com. And there's other stuff to listen to. Uh, We'll probably do a special edition of The Vergecast right after the Apple event. So that'll happen on Thursday. Chris Plant is actually also in New York this week. He'll be doing What's Tech from here. That's a wonderful show. And on the Recode side, Lauren Good hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is great. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode. And Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media, which if you haven't listened to, there's a really great episode. He interviewed Zay Frank from BuzzFeed about the future of BuzzFeed video and now yeah, the BuzzFeed really... Entertainment Group. Uh, so go check that out. It's it's a great episode if you're interested at all in this media stuff. Uh, and that's it for us. We will be covering the hell out of Microsoft and Apple this week and every other week for the rest of our lives. <laughs> the rest of our lives. <laughs> that was a great episode. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Eli, and so long, cricketeers. Cricketeers.